This is Reimagine Law, a podcast about legal education and careers to help students navigate their career choices. Welcome to Reimagine Law, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Deborah Lawumni. Deborah is finishing her PhD currently here at Queen Mary University of London in the Law School, looking at a really interesting topic of career experiences for socially marginalised groups in elite law firms. So Deborah and I will be looking at that a little bit later, but we're also going to be exploring today Deborah's career path. So Deborah, it's great to have you with us today. Would you like to say just a few introductory words, just about yourself, first of all? Yeah, no, I'm really um, delighted to be a guest on the podcast and, and thanks for, you know, having me on the show, so to speak. Um, That's okay. Yeah, and I'm just really interested to share um, notes about my career with listeners in the hope that it, you know, it will help help them. On that point of career, as, as you mentioned, let's perhaps if we start there, because um, you've got a you know, lot of experience in lots of different areas of law and, the list, and all of you listening, you're going to be fascinated by Deborah's career path, which I, which I just think is really interesting. Um, so perhaps, Deborah, if we, if we think back a little bit and your career direction initially and the first roles that you had, um, I, I guess to start on, how did you decide on law as a career right at the start and you know what pathway were you thinking about initially well I would say um I definitely wasn't the person who always wanted to be a lawyer um and if I'm honest it's quite a boring reason I was good at the sort of social sciences liberal arts when I was at school mm. and I didn't really know what career path I wanted to do and I just thought doing a law degree would be something that would provide a, me with a solid career path and it fitted around the subjects that I was good at and of course you know your mum and dad really pleased when you say oh I want to be a lawyer so there was no opposition to that <laughs> home and I guess I'm also you know have to admit I'm part of that generation who came into law in the 1990s and we were very influenced by the glossy American shows at the time I, I mean I don't know if listeners will remember LA Law I suppose it, it's, you know, this generation suits. I know suits is the big legal drama of the day. I was Ali McBeal and LA Law. And I think I was very influenced by those programmes as well, which really glamorised legal careers. Um, so, yeah, combination of things. <laughs> yeah. And, and was there, um, and, and I suppose as you then started exploring it, so you started moving in, in that direction, um, in terms of, how you know areas I suppose areas you became interested in but perhaps first of all you know almost was there anything around almost the purpose you know we often talk about people being purpose-driven in their careers and we've encouraged our listeners in other episodes actually to think about their values and how you know how that should uh, link to their career choices was there anything there almost about a sense of purpose for you Deborah as well? Yeah, I think very early on in my career, you know, it was very different back in the 90s. There wasn't much in the way of the internship culture and um, doing placements. So it was really difficult to know what it would be like. But I think for me, again, being influenced a lot by, you know, reading about law, by legal TV programmes, something that struck me early on was the sort of human interest element of the law and the... Um, possibility of changing people's lives and solving real social problems by being a lawyer and I think that that is something that really did interest me and and excited me about the profession. 
No, it's interesting, isn't it? And because I, I remember you, you've told me before that, and this is what I wanted to go on to just look at now, in terms of whether that led you towards certain types of law that you were interested in, because I know then, you know, the litigation work and employment type work, as you say, almost that, that, human, that human interest. Um, do you want to speak a little bit about perhaps some of the early early phases of your career and, and that work in, in that area, Deborah? Because part of the aim of the podcast is also to give people an insight into what different types of law and legal practice looks and feels like, to see if that might be of interest for them in their careers. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think for me, it was this whole idea of supporting um, underserved communities. So early on in my career, I was involved in civil liberties and legal aid work um, before the restrictions, which we now have, unfortunately, on legal aid kicked in. So I was able to work um, very much in the civil liberty space early on in my career, which I found really exciting because you could really see immediate impact on people's mm. lives through the work that you did. And I did a lot of work in immigration and refugee law, okay. yeah. which I found very um, rewarding early on in my career. Yeah. Um, I had a real interest and passion for human rights law. Yeah, and, and how is that, um, as you say, I realise the funding structures are, are, have changed year on, on year for that, but in terms of what does that look and feel like if you're doing that type of legal practice? So. Are you employed by a big organisation to do that or how, how does that work? Um, yeah, um, at the time I was doing it, it was mainly high street firms of solicitors that were doing that type yeah. of work um, on a, the basis of legal aid, which is government funded legal support for um, low income families and individuals. Yeah. Um, and yeah. the reality of that work is that it is really rewarding but it's very, it's not very well paid. You're not going to become rich doing legal aid work. And that's not the reason why we go into it. But I think that was one of the issues that impacted me as a younger lawyer, you know, wanting also to establish myself personally and professionally. I was looking for perhaps better paid legal work. And I think that was yeah. one of the issues that tipped me into working for bigger organisations and, and then eventually going into the government legal service where I went to the other side really, working um, on the side of, of the government. Um, I started off working on cases where individuals had taken claims against the state and then I moved to the other side, um, really representing the state, which was a complete shift for me. Yes, as you say, it's, it's almost seeing the, the practice from both sides. And, and perhaps, as you say, you've mentioned that pathway now towards the, the, the big organisations and the public sector roles you, you had. Um, and, and was that, again, again for the listeners, is that very much, again, the litigation and employment law? Was that still your focus at that, at that time, Deborah? Yeah, I'm really moving over to government was sort of um, an easy shift for me because, you know, working for government is a lot of human rights public law and judicial review cases. So the experience that I had gained working for claimants in human rights law was very attractive to government. So initially I went to work in a public law litigation for government. And one of the great things about working for the government legal service is they don't require you to be a specialist in anything. You move around uh, jobs every sort of three to four years and you're expected to learn on the job. 
So I started in one area, um, which is public law litigation, and then eventually moved into employment law, which is the area that I've stayed in. If, if you were looking again for the, for the listeners, if you were sort of comparing a, almost like a day in the life of those different types of law, Deborah, what does, what does that look and feel like, say, if you're doing, say, we're, let's imagine we are in the government legal service, you know, that you say working for the government then. Um, so if you're doing the employment law, is that, is that something where you're juggling lots of small math, uh, matters or projects you're working on, or is it working on some big things? How, how does that tend to work? Yeah, I mean, the role was really varied um, when I worked in the government as an employment lawyer. So it was divided between litigation, so preparing cases for court, um, working closely with clients on strategy um, and also project management, um, getting together witness statements and just going through big disclosure exercises. So it's quite a varied role and you develop lots of different skills. Yeah, and that's what I was just going to move on to, actually, just hearing you say that. And what are the key skills you would say or the ones you really felt you had to hone in, in, that, in that role to be, to be good in that area? I think um, technical legal skills mm. are, are really important and also um, client care because there's a lot of direct interaction with clients. So you've got to gain their confidence and you've got to allay their fears because going to court is one of the things that nobody really ever wants to have to go through in their lives. So there's a lot of hand-holding with the clients as well as um, having the legal technical skills. Yeah, so a lot of lot of almost, as you say, that skill of learning how to build trust, which we, we've talked about on some of the podcasts already, you know, this thought of how do you have those client relationship skills? How do you, I, I guess, means lots of good, good listening and asking questions, no doubt. Yeah, for sure. And also de- helping them to develop their strategy as well in how to run these long litigation cases. So working in that government department, as you say, it's interesting because if you can if you can move around there, um, just in terms of the scale of that, I mean, how, how just for listeners again, how, how big is, is that? Is that presumably there's quite a few lawyers working in, in, in that in that part of the government? It is. I mean, the government legal service at the time I was there, they used to say, you know, we're one like one of the biggest law firms in the country so there are you know a number of lawyers um in the government legal service so it's sort of like a big family really it's like working for a really big law firm yes i suppose especially if there's almost those different areas of specialism as you say and 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 that aspect to it um and and deborah I i think then um you also thinking about the more um the public sector side you then spent some time, you know, with the regulator, the the OFT. The um, so, I don't know if it's possible to give our listeners an insight into almost your thinking of how that pathway develops, and also what that was like as well. Well, again, one of the good things about being in the government legal service is that um, opportunities to move around are quite good. And at the time I was there, it was just a secondment okay. actually yeah. that came up, and it was an opportunity to go for a few years to work for a regulator and I was focusing on consumer protection regulation um, and very different. I just wanted to try something different and learn new skills. Um, And I wanted to work in more of an advisory, legal advisory role, um, which being at a regulator, I I was able to do for a couple of years. To give everyone that that insight. So when you're in the regulator, say the office for fair trading or whatever you say, in that area so is that where um are you, are you working for the regulator there is it almost when 
when people have brought claims against? Is it working with those people who have brought claims or? Really, I guess being in a regulator, it's almost like being a watchdog, really, or a guard dog. And you, you go across the whole sector. So we were doing consumer protection. So we were making sure that um, organisations and businesses were operating within the law, essentially. So helping them to comply with the law on consumer protection. Oh, I see. Interesting. OK, so you're working with the organisations there. And as you say, they need obviously they need to understand the regulation, but it's it's being a support for the organisations to help. OK, to help to help them operate within that. I, I see. And did that look like, as you say, so that was an advisory role. So I'm just imagining what that's like day to day again for listeners. So is that something where you're working with a broad span of organisations or you almost have like a portfolio of organisations that are given to you that you work with? The regulator um, supports a a broad range of organisations and what the lawyer does is it goes in not to the organisations but to the different branches of the regulator and gives them support, legal support, helping them to do their role properly and within the boundaries of the law. Um, So for instance one of the things I did when I was at the Office of Fair Trading which is now called the Consumer I think markets authority was um, at the time the budget airline industry had exploded and there were I don't know if you remember the hidden prices you know um, budget airline you say oh you can go to Paris for for one pound but actually when you went through and clicked all the options you'd end up paying a full price so that was one of the things that that I did when I was at the the office of fair trading was advising. Um, the airline industry and how to have much more transparent pricing um, pricing mechanisms for consumers. That must have been fascinating, Deborah, because I, I guess that's that's always a commercial balance between the airline in this case wanting to be as attractive as possible to customers, and so as you say, wanting to make the pricing look look a certain way versus um, versus then actually what what is in the public interest and yeah, how, how that pricing looks on the thing. That's interesting. So did you specialize, that just made me think uh, again, for the benefit of listeners and their career choices, Did when you were at the regulator there, did you um, tend to work on projects where you were specializing in a certain industry? So there were different ones of you looking at different industries, for example. Well, the great thing about it was, no, we just went across industries. So I did um, another case to do with um, selling of timeshares, um, model agencies so it was really interesting because you've got insights into all sorts of different industries. I guess one message I'm taking away here for, for listeners is especially the variation you've been able to have in your career through the, many of these larger public sector or re- regulatory bodies I mean that's something that seems very clear to me um, Deborah as well so perhaps that's something for all of you listening to think about as you say, whether it's moving around the government legal service and, and an encouragement to move around and and almost, you know, it's, it's interesting that in my, um, some of my research over the last few years, I've been thinking about what skills do lawyers need in the future? And that thought of actually, do they need quite multidisciplinary skills? And, and so perhaps that fits with some of the things that you've been saying there. Uh, you've had to be very flexible in your career, I guess. Yeah, and just sort of learning on the job and learning new legal skills all the time. That's something I've really loved in my career, that I haven't done just one area of law. But it it just goes to show, you know, in a legal career, if you just want to do employment law for your whole career, you can do that. But 
you can also have quite a varied career as a lawyer and get to know different sectors and different industries, which I think is really interesting. And I think also you mentioned in passing there, Deborah, something I think that's quite underestimated or underrated sometimes, which is this point of being open to learning and almost going back to being a beginner and having that almost beginner's mindset when you say, no, I want to do something else and I want to go into this different direction now. And having almost the courage to do that and almost the, the appetite to actually learn, which I think is a great way of, I've always said is a great way of developing your, your career. So I think you're probably a prime example of that, where as I say, it's about variation, it's, but it's about learning. It's, a, it's about constantly learning and constantly being curious and wanting, wanting to learn as well, which I think is fascinating. Well, Deborah, you know, we've talked a lot about your, your roles now, and I'd really like to explore a little bit the, um, the academic, the research that you've been doing the last few years, which, which sounds very important and, and very interesting as well. This whole area of career experiences for socially marginalised groups in elite law firms. Um, well, what, perhaps first, what drove you to, to want to look at this topic? Well, I think because I was coming to a point, you know, later on in my career, it was sort of like standing back in a sense, trying to make sense of my career, careers of others around me, friends, family. And I think often when people go into academic research, it's often very personal and to make sense of their own lives. And that certainly was one of the reasons why I went into academic research, which looks at the culture of the legal profession. And I think why I'm focusing specifically on marginalized groups is that myself being um, a black female lawyer, as I became more senior in the profession, I was finding that there weren't that many people that were like me in these big meetings, um, you know, in these high level, high profile activity. And I really wanted to sort of maybe examine and explore well, why is that happening? What's happening? And that led me to my PhD research at Queen Mary. I know you've done a, a lot of work looking, as you say, you're looking at the very much some of the big, big city firms. You know, I know you're still act actively doing it, but are there any kind of key themes uh, from your research that perhaps, you know, might be interesting to share here, just, just very briefly, any kind of key takeaways that, that you've, that, you, that, you've uh, that you've come to realise? Sure. I mean, one of the big things that's come out of my research so far is just how important um, sponsorship is within an organisational setting and the extent to which being sponsored within your law firm or your organisation really gives um, a significant sort of headwind or push to your career. Yeah. Um, and also that and the distinction between mentoring and sponsorship and I think often those two things are conflated I think it's really important to separate them out because they both do different things to for people's careers yeah and if we were just summarizing it because um, is the difference we should because you said there are mentoring systems and many firms have those and a lot of firms are moving to this idea of, of sponsorship and is, is a good way of describing sponsorship, is it something around, you know, the, especially active, sort of active um, advocacy on behalf of, of people to help their careers? Is, is that, uh, you may define it slightly differently, but that, that's the way I'd always have thought about it. Yeah, I think that's a really good way. Um, you know, your infirm advocate or, you know, some, some sort of the career self-help um, genre talks about having your personal cheerleader within the organization. <laughs> So yeah, for sure. 
perhaps some interesting learning there for, for firms around, as you say, not just mentoring, and that's good, but actually the active, the almost the step beyond that of actually the, I like the cheerleader point, the actually uh, the uh, the actual advocacy and the active advocacy. And I, I think I think a lot of research now is actually pointing to this, Deborah, as you say, that this does make, I mean, it's interesting that if you say that your research corroborates or finds that that's one of the, you know, important points in, in that makes a, makes a difference in, in, in careers. Um, historically, is, is this important because advocacy either didn't exist at all or was it just almost um, unevenly distributed kind of thing within the firm? Was that, was that, I don't know if you looked at that issue at all. Yeah, I have sort of looked at that. And I think in, in days gone by, it was almost like um, the advocacy element was almost an, an, an unspoken thing because you yeah. had a much more homogenized workforce, particularly in elite law firms. It was just sort of, it went without saying that if you came in, there would be somebody to anoint you and to, to yeah. bring you up through the ranks. Yeah, that's a great point. So that's a really interesting thought that some, one of the findings is that sponsorship does make a big difference. So when your research is, is published, and you know, I'm sure that will be another piece of evidence that this actually really, really matters actually in firms. So, you know, it's good to hear that because I know firms have been focusing on this the last few years, but it's uh, it really corroborates saying, no, actually we do need to make a very dedicated push on, on doing this. If we want firms to to it to evolve in the way that, that we need to evolve in terms of like the talent pool and the talent pipelines that they have in the, in the firms as well. Now it's very interesting. Um, okay, I'm conscious conscious of um, time, Deborah. But um, one thing I did want to, to explore just at just the end here is um, I know you've um, you know going back to all the different roles you've had as you said um, starting off in the um, in the sort of the legal aid and the human rights, um, moving through the government legal work, moving to different specialisms and departments. And now you're doing something that you mentioned to me the other day that sounds really interesting. I think listeners would be very interested about. And this is this whole area of the way the England and Wales legal market has been deregulated. And so there are now different types of employer or different types of platforms that you can work through as a, as a lawyer. Um, that's an area I think that's um, that I, I think will become more prevalent in the future. So I think as, as you're just experimenting with this at the moment and starting this, it would just be really interesting to hear your insights for, for listeners on how does this work? How do you how do what types of platforms are out there and the one you're using? How um, how what stage of career can you do that at and, and what skills do you need or what area of law do you have? So, yeah, just a little sketch for people of that, I think would be really fascinating, Deborah. Yeah, sure. I mean, the legal profession, you know, compared to when I started, it, it's very different. I mean, when I started in the legal profession in sort of the late 90s, early 2000s, it was a very rigid employment model. And you would go into an office and work there five days a week in the office. And now it's just completely, you know, in the past 20, 25 years, completely transformed in that because of the Internet, I suppose, you do have a lot of different platforms and with deregulation, lots of different types of alternative business structures are providing legal services. So, for instance, you've got the consultancy platforms that are run by big law firms. Um, so, you know, for instance, a firm like Eversheds, they have their platform and you wouldn't necessarily have to go through an Eversheds training contract and work there as um, an associate. 
you could actually come in as a consultant and be seconded to clients. So that's one model. There's the other models of virtual law firms where you work remotely as a consultant for um, a law firm or a solicitor's firm. And I'm actually in the sort of latter model. I've recently joined um, a law firm which focuses solely on consultants called Setfords, which is a nationwide solicitor's firm specialising in um, all areas of, of law. It gives you the flexibility to do other things in addition to a legal career. So that's fascinating, Deborah, and all those different platforms you mentioned there. So is, that, uh, is this something at the moment, at least, for later on in your career? Are they looking for people with experience? Or, or did you say that that can even start quite early in people's careers when they're quite junior? Yeah, I do think it is something that's more mid to late career. I think when you're junior, it's, it's quite difficult to get a foothold in a platform because clients just, they want you to be on the job and to hit the ground running. So I do think I would not recommend that type of model for somebody who's newly qualified. I'd recommend that you spend a few years in a firm or organisation really learning from other lawyers. But but when you're more experienced, it's certainly an, an option for people. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense. And, and Deborah, in terms of the benefits of that, when you look at it from your point of view, is one of the benefits that you can dial up and dial down the busyness a little bit? Was that one of the attractions of it for you? Or was it the range of clients? Well, how, how were you thinking about it? Yeah, for me, it's more to do with the flexibility. So as you've said, Nigel, dial up or dial down, because I've got my academic research that I'm really committed to and focused on, it enables me to combine and work around my legal practice in a much more flexible way. Um, being in a law firm, a conventional law firm organisation wouldn't allow that opportunity. Yeah, so it's fascinating, isn't it? So as you say, and, and this is what I'd heard a number of these platforms offer, it's almost the chance, as you say, for people to choose, okay, in the next year, I think I want to work roughly 60% of, a, you know, and I'll pick and choose some big projects and I can do it via this platform or this consultancy model. So, you know, and I know a number of the firms have also got this these uh, platforms around their alumni as well, haven't they? Where so the alumni of the firm, who therefore they think, okay, they're there, they worked with us for a few years, so we know their quality. And absolutely, you know, we're very happy for them to be on the... Um, on, on the platform and serving the clients as well so well there you are that's that's Deborah that's been fascinating I mean thank you so much I mean you know we've covered there so much in a short time we've covered lots about your career lots about different areas of law and a little bit of insight into you know the working at a regulator as well in the government legal service thinking about some research that you've done of things as you say that struck you throughout your career that you wanted to look at in a bit more depth and then right up to this very modern way of working on some of these, you know, new new types of law firms and law platforms. So thank you very much, Deborah. That's been absolutely fascinating. Um, and I think for, for, for listeners, we hope that's given you an insight into a number of things, not just some areas of legal practice that Deborah mentioned, but say also the future way of working, some of the future models, and also what it's like to, to work in a range of areas, ranging from private sector to the public sector and, and the government as well. So as always, we'll put the show notes up on the platform for you, along with some tips and ideas, also some actions for you, for you to take as well. And thank Deborah again very much for being part of this episode and for sharing her experiences with us. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Nigel. It's been a real pleasure. And we hope you'll join us again for another episode of Reimagine Law soon. Mm-hmm.